So um, we're talking today about Judas, and we've been going through this series that we're calling Witness, and we're looking at people who interact with Jesus during the last days before his crucifixion. We're looking at folks who, who saw him, who spoke with him, who knew him well, and how they reacted to Jesus, how they understood him or misunderstood him. And then the challenge that uh, I'd love us to embrace, to keep embracing, is where do we see ourselves in these people? We looked at uh, Caiaphas, this guy they call the high priest, a, a couple weeks ago. Last week, Pastor Lori led us through this woman that we, that we think might be a, a woman named Mary, and she anoints Jesus for burial. And, and this week, uh, we're turning our attention to Judas Iscariot, uh, one of Jesus' 12 closest followers and a pretty infamous guy in history. And as we get into this, um, I, I want to explore who, G who Judas is and, and what, what he does and why he might have done what he did. But before we do that, I want to kind of just start off by starting with um, a couple movie clips. These are uh, two of the most famous movie uh, kisses in history, right? So check it out. This is the first one. Death cannot stop true love. All it can do is delay it for a while. I will never doubt again. There will never be a need. That's oh, so sweet. No. no. Oh, yeah, Princess Bride, right? Um, uh, so here's another one. It's a very different kiss. So check this out. There's a plane waiting for us to take us to Miami in an hour. All right. Don't make a big thing about it. I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. You broke my heart. All right, movie trivia, what's that from? Godfather, Godfather Part Two. Uh, it's literally the kiss of death. Michael Corleone finds out that his brother Fredo has betrayed him, gives him the kiss of, you broke my heart, Fredo, you broke my heart, and uh, things go badly for Fredo after that. I hope that's not a spoiler alert, but the movie's like 40 years old, so that's on your head, not mine at this point. Um, those two kisses are, are very different. You know, one's a romantic kiss. One is a very, very different sort of kiss. And, and kisses uh, just kind of have all kinds of different uh, meanings depending on the context. And, and the reason I show that to you is uh, Judas, if you don't know the story, betrays Jesus with probably the most famous kiss in history. He kisses Jesus, and that is the symbol to arrest him. We're going to talk about that uh, in a couple minutes. And with that, Judas goes down in history, literally, if you go to the interwebs, which I did, as one of the most famous betrayers in all of human history. And if you just Google top betrayals in history, Judas is going to be right up there. And he's got great company. So he's, he's accompanied by a guy uh, named Marcus Brutus, uh, anybody from uh, English literature class? I think we have a picture. Yes, that's Brutus. Uh, who did Brutus betray? Caesar. Not just in Shakespeare's play, in actual history, Brutus betrays his childhood friend, Julius Caesar, and Julius Caesar is assassinated due to that. Next picture. 
Another famous betrayal. Anybody? Now American history? Benedict Arnold, that's right. Benedict Arnold is an is a, is a officer in the Continental Army during our Revolutionary War. He's frustrated because he gets passed over for promotion. So if you're a supervisor of any people here, you pass them over, be careful. That's all I'm saying. Um, he's made commandant of West Point, which is a fort at the time. And he's mad uh, for getting passed over. And so he switches sides and goes to the British and says, hey, uh, I want to actually work for you guys now. And here are the plans to West Point and the British take over the fort. He goes down uh, in history as one of the greatest betrayers. Next slide. Next big betrayal. All right, Gen X people, who's this? It's a movie. Who? Cypher. Cypher from The Matrix. Joe Pantoliano. Uh, famous scene where he's eating the steak. He's like, I know this isn't a real steak, but he decides to betray his friends, including Keanu Reeves. Who would betray Keanu Reeves? I don't know. Um, famous betrayal in movie history. Not quite American, not quite American history, but still famous betrayal. And then lastly, a big movie betrayal. Lando, Lando, Lando betrays his buddy Han Solo. And then I just had to throw this second picture of Lando because it's so awesome. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what this pose is, but this is like, I don't know, it's like iconic, almost like a weird Heisman-esque pose, uh, pose, but famous, famous, famous betrayals through history, right? And Judas is just right up there. Betrays Jesus, changes all, in a way, all of human history. And what I'm going to do today is walk us through the story of what he does, but I want to tell you right now that where I'm going with this thing is it's real easy to kind of just say, well, all right, let's hear about Judas. But I'm asking you to find out like how you identify with Judas. And the first thing you're probably going to say is, well, I don't, right? I didn't betray. Like, I don't have this in me, you know. I didn't betray Jesus, right? But before we jump to that, I want to just ask you to open up, open up your hearts, open up your minds, and just be patient, and hear this story, maybe with some fresh ears, maybe with, and look at it maybe with some fresh eyes. So I'm going to just walk through uh, the story, uh, which, which Chuck read most of. But again, uh, it really starts in 26, chapter Matthew 26, verse 3. If you want to go there in your Bibles, it's pretty far into the Bible, uh, almost towards the end. It's, it's the first book of the New Testament. Um, Matthew 26, verse 3. The chief priests and the elders of the people, they gathered in the courtyard of Caiaphas, the high priest. They were plotting to arrest Jesus by cunning tricks, and they wanted to kill him. But they agreed that it shouldn't happen during the feast, so there wouldn't be an uproar among the people. Now, the feast they're referring to is called the Feast of Passover, and it's, a, it's one of the most important days of the Jewish year. It, it reminds the, the Jewish people of when God set them free from the Egyptians. And I was reading a book this week, and it's like, it, this is liberation time. This is like our July 4th, like multiplied by a bunch. And so when, when the Exodus and Passover rolls by, these people are thinking, freedom. We remember what God has done, and, we, and we're looking forward to the time when he does it again because they are right now currently being occupied and oppressed by Rome. And so the text says that the, they, the leaders, they agree that it shouldn't happen during the feast so there wouldn't be an uproar. Look, Jesus is becoming a pretty popular guy. And when you have a, a really, really explosive potential uh, festival time, the last thing you want to do is make the crowd angry. 
Because they're like, look, we can have a revolution on our hands real, real easy. And if that happens, Rome's going to roll in and it's not going to be pretty. So they're like, look, we have to figure out a way to arrest Jesus. And then just a few verses below that, in verse 14, we're going to pick it up. It says, one of the 12, Jesus' 12 closest followers, one of the 12 who was called Judas Iscariot, he went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I turn Jesus over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that time on, Judas was looking for an opportunity to turn Jesus in. So Judas agrees. He agrees to solve the problem that the high priests have because they're like, we want to arrest Jesus. We actually want to kill him. But we can't figure out how to do it without getting a revolution on our hands. And Judas says, ah, 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 I can help with that. And he goes and he says, look, how much? How much? 30 pieces of silver. Now in this context, a piece of silver is a day's wage. One month's wage, Judas sells out Jesus. How much do you make in a month? That's how much it costs for Judas to deliver Jesus. He makes the, he makes the deal. All right, and so then... Um, we're just going to read a little part of, of the Passover meal. They say it's during Passover, it's during this festival. So Jesus is celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. And uh, it says in verse 20, um, Jesus takes his place at the table with his 12 disciples. Judas is there. And as they're eating, Jesus says, I assure you, one of you will betray me. Deeply saddened, each one said back to Jesus, I I'm not the one, am I, Lord? Keep in mind with that word right there. I'm not the one, am I, Lord? Every one of them. Jesus replies, the one who would betray me is the one who dips his hand with me into this bowl. And Jesus basically just doubles down and reiterates, look, the one who's going to betray me, I'm breaking bread with right now. It's, it's, it's a common bowl. It's, it's one thing. And one of you people are going to do this. Then Jesus says, uh, goes on, he says, the human one goes to his death just as it is written about him. The human one is what Jesus titled himself. You may have heard it called the son of man, the human one. Jesus is like, look, I'm going to my death because this was the plan all along. But how terrible it is for that person who betrays the human one it would have been better for him if he had never been born. Now Judas, who would betray him, says, uh, it, it is not me, is it, Rabbi? And Jesus answers, you said it. I want to just freeze here for a moment. I want to just point out two things about this uh, interaction. Uh, the text above says that when G Jesus says, look, somebody's going to betray me, they all go, it's not me, is it? And I told you guys to pay attention. It's not me, is it, Lord? Judas says, it's not me, is it, Rabbi? And uh, this is important because in Matthew's gospel, the only people that ever call Jesus Rabbi in Matthew's gospel are outsiders. Everybody who's on the inside with Jesus call him Lord. But Judas kind of maybe betrays a little bit of what's going on inside him, and he says, oh, it's not me, uh, Rabbi. 
And then Jesus replies to him. And, and the way you can understand this in the Greek is Jesus is not necessarily agreeing with Judas, but he's not disagreeing. He's basically saying, well, that's what you said, right? And at this point in the story, Judas leaves in Matthew's gospel. And uh, what we're going to do is, is jump down uh, to um, kind of post uh, into the betrayal. So if you flip down a little bit to Matthew 26, verse 47, Jesus has finished the Passover meal and then he's gone out and he's been praying like all night for hours with, with the three closest disciples. Judas has already wandered off. And then in verse 47, he's talking to the, uh, those, those disciples that are with him and he says, while Jesus was still speaking, here comes Judas, one of the 12. And with him was a large crowd carrying swords and clubs and they had been sent by the chief priests and the elders of the people. His betrayer had given them a sign. He said, arrest the man I kiss. And this is the most famous kiss in history, right? And he goes up to Jesus and says again the word, hello, not Lord. Hello, rabbi. And he kisses him. Now, a kiss between a rabbi and a disciple is actually a very common thing in this culture. It's the way a disciple would greet his teacher, his rabbi, with an affectionate kiss. It's a different culture. So that in and of itself is not weird or out of place. But Judas has told the priests, look, look for the guy that I'm going to kiss. And just so you know, like one of the reasons this has to happen this way is like first, it's dark. Like it's dark. It's nighttime. And uh, flash, uh, I don't know, big spoiler alert, there's no street lights in the first century. Okay. So they don't know what Jesus might look like. Because they're, the, the priests and the leaders, they're not really familiar with Jesus. The common people might know who Jesus looks like. They don't. So all they know is like, this guy said, look for the guy that I kiss, and that's the dude. That's the guy you want. And Judas goes up. He says, hello, rabbi. And he kisses him. And then Jesus says, as he does it, hey, do what you came to do. And then they came and grabbed Jesus and arrested him. And then, uh, you know, they put Jesus on trial. And so Jesus, uh, Judas has given him over. That's not all he did. If you know the story of, of Jesus' trial, like they, they want to kill him, but they have to have Jesus implicate himself. They don't have the right to just put somebody to death. It has to be somewhat legal according to Jewish law. But the chief priest knows exactly what to ask Jesus to get him to implicate himself. And what a lot of scholars think is that not only does Judas hand Jesus over, Judas goes to the chief priest and he says, I know you want him dead. Let me tell you what you need to ask him to get him to implicate himself. Let me tell you what I've heard Jesus say in, in like behind closed doors. And if you ask him this, he won't deny it. And then you've got him. So not only does Judas sell him out for 30 pieces of silver, he basically gives the chief priests all the ammunition they need to have Jesus implicate himself so that they can put him to, hand him over to Rome to be put to death. That's what Judas does. And then... Um, He's, he's arrested, he's beaten, 
And then we, we, we see this last little piece, uh, Matthew 27. Uh, when Judas, who, who betrayed Jesus, when he saw that Jesus was condemned to die, he felt deep regret. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders and said, I did wrong because I betrayed an innocent man. But they said, what is that to us? That's your problem. And I think that at that moment, Judas knew that he was used. They don't care about Judas. They're like, we don't care. It's your problem, man. It's your problem. And Judas throws the, the, the silver pieces into the temple and then leaves. And then he went and hanged himself. And that's the story of Judas in Matthew's gospel. And it's a really, really like tightly enter Judas, exit Judas, end of Judas. And, uh, and in that sense, it's a simple story. He betrays his rabbi. And the way I would put it uh, to us is, look, we know what Judas does. But I don't think we really know why Judas does it. And that's what I want to explore. And so I'm going to start off by just giving you some plausible explanations of why Judas might have done what he did. And this is beyond the Bible because the Bible said so. Because the Bible said that Judas had to be the scapegoat and somebody had to do it, so it's just Judas. Well, these are real human beings in the Bible. And so I want to explore what are some reasons that Judas might have of, of betraying a guy that he walked around with for three years? And then all of a sudden, Judas does a hard left turn or a hard right turn and goes, I'll tell you what, 30 pieces of silver, one month, I'll give them to you. So it could have been a geographical issue. Judas's last name or, or the title we know him by is Judas Iscariot. And that could mean, depending on how you translate it, it could mean Judas from a town called Kerioth. And what you need to know is Kerioth is in the south where Jerusalem is. Jesus is from the north, Galilee. And all of the rest of the 12 are also from the north. So some people think that Judas walks around all the time and he feels out of place. And the south is where Jerusalem is. And, and there's sometimes there's tension between the south and the north. Am I preaching yet to anybody? Like, we don't have this problem anymore, do we? And so uh, at the end, when Jesus finally gets to Jerusalem where the south is, Judas is like, okay, now I'm at home. And now Jesus is going to treat me with more respect. And now I'm going to get treated with honor because I'm from the south. But that's not what happens. Jesus actually says, Peter, you're kind of still the main dude. James and John, you're the three. And, and some people think that like Judas gets tired of being second class to these northerners. And he says, you know what? I'm tired of this. Regional tensions. And he says, I'll show these northerners something or two. And he makes a deal. Some people think that it might be political. Uh, another way to translate Iscariot is essentially what, what we have maybe even heard the movie lately, Sicario, which means soldier. In this context, it doesn't just mean soldier. Uh, the Sicarios were a group of people who wanted to kick Rome out of God's land, and the way they did it was murder. 
and assassination. They were called the dagger men. So if you are a Roman leader, you might be in a public place and you might find a, a big knife sticking out of your abdomen. That was a Sicario that did that. If you were a Jewish person that collaborated with Rome, you might find yourself with a dagger sticking out of your abdomen, courtesy of the Sicarios. So some people think that Judas was a Sicario. And once Jesus starts talking about, hey, I'm going to die, and furthermore, the Romans are going to do it. The Judas is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're supposed to like bring God's kingdom in. And I've got the knives and I've got the, the, the will to make this happen. And now all of a sudden, Jesus, you're talking about like laying, just like laying down and rolling over and letting them kill you? That's not, no, that's not what I signed up for. And so Judas says, hard left, hard right. I'm a soldier. This is not the way we behave. And he says, I'm out. If Jesus is going to lay down and die, I'm out. Some people think that uh, his motivation um, might be that Judas is actually trying to bring peace between Jesus and the priests. So when he sets the meeting up, he's actually saying, Maybe, can we, you guys can work this out. Like, we just get in a room together. We'll, we'll work it all out. And he arranges that meeting in Gethsemane thinking that the chief priest and Jesus, his rabbi, will finally get it together. Well, that ain't working. Some people think that uh, Judas is trying to help Jesus by forcing the issue. Jesus, you talk about the kingdom. You say the kingdom is coming. Jesus, if I have you arrested, I've seen you heal people. I've seen God's power at work in you. If I get you arrested, Jesus, you're going to show these people how powerful you really are. So Judas is just trying to help Jesus along. If I get you arrested, you're going to unleash some of this power and everyone will know. And then the last thing, if you're a person of faith, if you're in certain faith tribes, uh, you might just say Judas's motivation is just that he's a bad dude. He's a bad guy. He betrayed his rabbi. There's a couple of gospels uh, we, uh, and, and in a couple instances in the story, um, we're told that first that Judas is a thief takes money out of the, 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 the money bag that the disciples have. And then we're told uh, that Satan enters Judas. Now, before we like go into like, you know, horror movie land, what you need to know is that in the New Testament, Satan has primarily like two meanings. The first is just the accuser. It's literally, spiritually, the person that accuses us and tells us how bad we are in front of God. And actually, the New Testament is like, Jesus kind of comes to our side and says, no, 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 you don't get to say that, accuser. So we're told the accuser enters him, but also it means the adversary of God, the person who is opposed to God's uh, movement in the world. And so we go, oh, you know what? Well, Judas was just a bad dude. He had, the devil got him. The devil made him do it, literally. And I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever, if that's the posture you take towards Judas, but, but this is where things get really, really interesting to me. This is where the church really has dwelled for a long, long time. Uh, we're going to go back to, to uh, uh, high school English again. Anybody read Dante's Inferno? I didn't, but I was supposed to. Sorry, English teachers. If you're in high school, read it. You should. 
Don't do the cliff notes like I did. You see what happened to me. So in Dante's Inferno, you know, it's literally a description of hell. In the ninth circle of hell, the lowest circle of hell where Satan literally is, you know who's with him? Judas, Brutus, and another Roman, Cassius. I think there are worse people that have come along since the 1500s, but those are the three that Dante puts in the lowest circle of hell. The church has always said, no, it's, it's Judas. He's just evil. He's just bad. There's some evidence to show, by the way, that the first church saw it a little bit more complicated than that. And that it was only over time that people just kind of said, oh, no, Judas is just evil. And what I want to do is kind of say, look, if there's all these potential things stirring around in, Jewish, in Judas's mind, maybe it's not that he was just evil and the devil made him do it. Maybe there's something slightly more complex going on here. And if there is, it's important. And here's why it's important. As a person of faith, it's really easy for me to just go, oh, Judas is just a bad guy. I'm never like Judas. I'm never like Judas. He's evil. He had like the devil inside him. And let me tell you, as long as evil remains something that is out there, that is external to us, that I can always say, well, that'll never be me. As long as it's out there, I don't have to deal with what's inside my own heart. You see, betrayal really just means this. You act and make decisions in a way that is counter to expectations, and you hurt somebody. That is a betrayal. So let me ask you a couple questions. Have you ever worked for maybe an organization, or maybe you had a boss, and they had an expectation of you, and you acted in a way that was counter to that expectation, and somebody got hurt? Did you ever throw a coworker under the bus? then you are a betrayer. Have you ever been in a relationship or been married or had a friend and they had an expectation of you of loyalty and fidelity and honesty and you acted counter to that expectation and someone got hurt? If you have, then you're a betrayer. Have you ever had expectations of yourself? I want to be this type of person, a kind, a considerate, a gentle, a kind, a patient person, a joyful person, and you acted in a way that betrayed your own expectations of yourself. Anybody ever done that? Then you've betrayed yourself. And what I'm getting at is maybe Judas ain't so far off from us than what we might think. Because I'd like to believe, without grading too much on a curve, that we've all betrayed somebody or something, and we're all guilty. We all have a little of Judas inside us. And we can't just go, well, that's something else, somebody else's problem. It's, it's the devil made me do it. Because until you can look at yourself honestly and go, no, I did that. I did it. I betrayed. I made that choice. Until you can do that, nothing's ever going to change. Nothing's ever going to change. 
This is why Judas' story is a lot more important to us than we think. Because we think, that's never me. And yet, if we pause, we go, actually, that's me multiple times a day. Because I don't know if it's like a big, like, mind-blowing thing to you, but uh, I, 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 I sin. I do. And maybe I'm just too quick to admit it, but I'd like to think that you guys probably do too. We're not perfect. And so if that is true, let me ask yourself, what was the price of your betrayal? If you betrayed yourself, if you betrayed another person, if you betrayed your boss or a coworker, what was offered to you to make you do it? Was it a month's worth wages? Or was it a couple hours of feeling good? Was it getting your ego like massage in a good way? Most of us sell out for a lot less than 30 pieces of silver. That's our reality. We betray ourselves and other people and God. But that is not the end of the story. You see, it all starts with being willing to be honest, brutally honest with ourselves. This is what I'm capable of. And I'm no different than Judas. But then there's another issue that quickly comes up. And I want to go at it this way. Going back to Matthew 27, verse 3, there's a key word there that sometimes we just whoosh, blow right by if you ever read the Bible. Verse 3 says, Judas, who betrayed Jesus, he saw that Jesus was condemned to die, and then he what? He feels what? Deep regret. You know what that word is in the Greek? It's the word metamorphi. It's a word, it's a word that is really important in the New Testament. Metamorphi, most of the time in the Bible, in the New Testament, is translated repent. So that text right there actually says, when he sees Jesus is condemned to die, Judas repents. And all repentance means, uh, if you don't really understand that word or if, it, if the word brings up stuff, it means you change your mind. Anybody ever do something? You're like, woo, that was a mistake. I never want to do that thing again. You've repented. Congratulations. Judas repents. But somehow, it doesn't work out right. Because still, another verse later, and like he, he's, he's, hang, he's hanged himself. So what's going on here? Before we get to that, I want to highlight something that maybe you don't think about a lot, and that is the fact that Judas has a, has a compatriot in the 12 named Peter, and just before that, Peter does something really, really interesting for our discussions. So if you don't know the story, I'm gonna read the verses right before what we just read in Matthew 26, starting in verse 69. Jesus is arrested. Peter, who is the lead disciple, Jesus' is star pupil, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant woman came up to him and she said, you were also with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of all of them, saying, I don't know what you're talking about. When he went over to the gate, another woman saw him and said to those who were there, uh, this man was with Jesus 
the man from Nazareth, Peter says again with a solemn pledge. Peter's using legal language. He's like, in case there's any lawyers in the crowd, let me make this really clear and legal, a solemn pledge. I don't know the man. Then a short time later, those standing there came and said to Peter, you must be one of them. You're a northerner. The way you talk gives it away, which I love that. Hello, you're from the north. The way you talk gives it away. And then Peter, listen, Peter cursed and swore and then said, I don't know him. Now let me kind of stretch you a little bit. I don't think Peter's like cursing and swearing like Christians do now, where they kind of substitute a word for another word, and we all pretend that it's okay. I think Peter goes all the way. And when he's asked, do you know Jesus? Put yourself in that scene and listen to a man curse and swear and let things come out of his mouth that should not come out of a mouth in mixed company. And he says, uh-uh, blippity, blap, blap, blap. I don't know him. Now, in that scene now, how far apart are Judas and Peter? Yes, Judas betrays him. Peter curses, swears, and says, I don't know him to save his own skin. Peter somehow recovers. Judas repents, but somehow doesn't. What's the difference? And wrapped in that is a really important question because some of us, look, some of us, we would say, yeah, I've betrayed. I've betrayed. I have fractured a relationship. I have I've taken the loyalty that was given me and I've just threw it in the trash. But if I, but I'm afraid that if I sit with that and if I say, this is me, there's a, there's a fear in our hearts maybe that we're like, that's the only voice I'll ever hear for the rest of my life. What if that's the only voice I ever hear? And the way I, the way I thought about it this, this week is, is there a point of no return for, for, for people? Just, does Judas just do too much? And so there's no forgiveness left for him. And I think in a room like this, I would have to say some of us are asking that same question. If I admit that I've done this thing or that thing, if I admit this addiction, if I admit, admit this infidelity, if I admit this character defect, is, a, is there a point of no return and I can't be forgiven? I think the only difference between Peter and Judas is that Peter somehow is able in his uh, sadness in his devastation, he is somehow able to grasp onto the hope that the story's not over. And he hears the hope and the love of Jesus. And Peter gets through it. I think sometimes Judas just gives into the despair that this is the only voice I'll ever hear. And let me tell you something, human beings in this room, of which we all are, we're not meant to endure that voice of despair. 
we need another voice in our life to say, I know you're a betrayer. The voice of Jesus saying, I know you are, and I love you anyway. I know who you are, and I love you anyway. And that's where the healing starts. We don't have to listen to that voice that says, you are a betrayer. You sold somebody out. You broke something. We go, that's who I am, but actually I've got this Savior, and he loves me, and the scriptures say that nothing will ever come between me and God because of what Jesus did and who he is. That's how deeply we need it. That's how deeply we need that voice. I think, I think if Judas would have found his way back to Jesus and thrown himself on his knees in front of Jesus, I think Jesus would have looked at Judas and said, brother, I know what you did. And I love you anyway. I love you anyway. Because guess what? Jesus was going to die anyway because he chose to die for the sins of the world. He didn't need Judas to bring him to the cross. He was going there anyway because of his choice for the sake of the world. And if Judas would have come and said, Jesus, you don't know what I did. Jesus said, oh, actually I do. And I love you. And I forgive you. And if you're here this morning and you are a betrayer and you go, oh man, I think I may have gone past the point of no return. Jesus is looking you in the eyes right now. And he says, I love you. I forgive you. There is no point of no return. Nothing can separate us, Jesus says. That's good news. That is good news. Each week, We've written a confession, which is a fancy word just to say something we all agree on. And um, we've just been speaking these words together. And so uh, it's going to come up on the screen, and then the band is going to play a song. And, and I do this to make the ground level. We're all betrayers of somebody, something, sometime. And we're just going to read this so that we all can just own it collectively. So I'm going to ask us all to stand up. I'm going to come down here with like one of you guys. And we're going to read these words together of owning who we are, but owning also the mercy and the love of our Savior Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's read these words. Father, we confess our weakness to you. We are broken and cannot fix ourselves. And we ask you to forgive the ways we have betrayed you and others. Help us not to focus just on our sin, but on your mercy. And thank you for the love and sacrifice of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.